Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and thank you, as always, for tuning in. Thank you for your likes, comments, feedback, shares, subscribes. Everything that you do to help keep this podcast in the ears of as many people as possible is always greatly appreciated. This week's episode is with the great man, Andy Marr. Andy Marr doesn't need too much introduction for those of us here in Australia, but for those of us around the world, he is one of Australia's great sports broadcasters and journalists. Lucky enough to be able to call Andy a golfing buddy, and this week we just catch up and basically it's just the two of us having a chat about our love of golf, our love of sport, a little bit of football, and all of the things that have just popped up into our sphere in the week that we recorded this, which was a couple of weeks ago now. Really appreciate having Andy on. As I said, he's one of Australia's greats and a very charismatic man, and I always enjoy a round of golf with Andy Marr, and I hope you enjoy this podcast and listen to Andy and I catching up, chatting about golf, our love of golf, as he rightly points out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Andy Ma, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, sir? It's great to see you. Our Love of Golf podcast, Roscoe. That, yeah. well, that, that is very correct. And, you great know, to be the, the intention of the My Love of Golf podcast was not about My Love of Golf. As you rightly point out, it is our love of golf. And, you know, that's uh, how our journey brings us sitting here tonight. Uh, me and Matt Eliza, are you up there in the city? Because uh, we love golf and we've played a bit of golf together. And, you know, after uh, 100 or so episodes, I thought, well, Andy, it'd be uh, – Interested in having a interested in having a chat to me, I'm sure. So, and and here we are. And thank clearly you very running, much. You're, you're clearly running out of potential guests. So, um, but it's a joy to be here. Um, it's um, I always feel a bit when I when I end up talking to people like you and others uh, who are uh, far more golf literate than I am. I do occasionally feel like I'm a bit out of my depth when I um. But I love it's it's one of those it's it's a game that it um it doesn't matter how intricate your knowledge is if you love it it's just great fun talking about it so and absolutely hit the nail on the head and i recently uh said to the listeners that uh you know the six of them that do choose to listen every couple of weeks (laughs) (laughs) um i did say if anyone's interested and has a story and i don't care what level of story you know please come and share it with me and i chatted to a fellow in ireland last night and He said, I was listening to your podcast, walking along the beach, wind in my ears, looking up to Port Marnock Golf Course because he lives in Port Marnock and Port Marnock Beach. He said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And we chatted for about two hours last night. And for me, that was that was a, quite a special moment just to think that someone in Port Marnock, Ireland, is listening and uh, and wanted to take the time to have a chat to me about their love of golf and, and how they came to Australia. And it, so it was great. But, um, well, it's a great connector. The game's an unbelievable connector. And it's, you know, it's the, the reason that it is is because, oh, my simple – theory is is that it doesn't matter like you're a much better player than me but you how you play hopefully doesn't get impacted by the way I play when you and I play together it's not like a game of tennis where it is significantly how you play and how therefore probably how much you enjoy playing on that particular day is largely dependent on the player at the other end of the court yeah it's a great thing about golf you should never be no one should ever be worried about how good they are compared to the people they're playing with because it, it really doesn't matter. Now I'm a, you know, I'm an okay golfer. Yeah, no, certainly, certainly not, not the, not the best golfer getting around, but I, I do get a lot of people say to me and I quickly try and extinguish, you know, the discussion. Oh, I can't play with you because you know, you're better than me and I don't want to hold you up. And I said, Hey, 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 
that's so not what it's all about. And oh, really? You'd you'd be happy to play with someone? Let look. Let's just let's just go and do it. And mm. Uh, mm. and that's that's one of the great things, Andy. I started to write a list of all the things that you've been involved in in your uh, media career and I ran out of uh, digital paper on this little digital notebook that I got. It's it's extensive and it's impressive and, you know, you're a humble guy because I know you pretty well now and you just go, no, I'm just the guy telling the stories about sport. But the back catalogue of the work that you've done is is unbelievable. When you think about the sports that you've been involved in, mm. and I didn't even know you'd covered, I, c- I couldn't remember you'd covered the motorbikes. Now, I used to mm. be in the motorbike industry, but you've covered the motorbikes. <laughs> so, very briefly, um, motorsport's not my, It's a, that is as far from my um, strong suit as it gets. And um, I was um, immediately exposed to be out of my depth when that was the case. But I oh, know I've done, I've just been really lucky to be, um, in the right place often enough um, at the right time. And I think I've the one thing that's held me in reasonable stead is, A, an interest. Like, I've, I've got a genuine interest in the stuff that, you know, we end up talking about. Um, but professionally, I've never overreached. I've always known what my role is, um, what's required of me, um, um, and just how to be a functioning member of a team. And, you know, whenever you, whether you're doing radio, newspaper, newspaper is a bit different. It's probably a bit more solo, but when you're involved in radio or TV, you are absolutely part of a team and you can't, you can't be a on course, um, you know, reporter covering a golf tournament. If the audio bloke is no good. And if you can't get a camera to shoot the shot you want, you can't be no good. You can't be good at what you do. And so you lean on um, all of the other people who are completely, you are completely dependent on. And I've, I think one of, I think people have always been okay working with me and um, that's seen me stay employed, which you meet within the cape that I work in and have, it's not, it's easier said than done, you know, so. Now, you've been very kind to me in just offering some encouragement to my young fellow who you know, mm. who we've spoken to as, yep. you know, and he's doing all the right things. And, yep. you know, you started your career at Marcelin. You're, you're a big Marcelin guy and I believe commentating the footy on the side of the side of the ground. Is that right for Marcelin? Yep. I, got, I got dropped from the 1984 grand final. I played in the prelim and got dropped in the granny and we're playing Caulfield Grammarians in B grade. So we'd already won the prelim, so we're already back up to A grade. And I got dropped for the granny. And so at Elstonwick Park, people may know or may, know, may not know it, but there's a, a tin roof that sits above the old um, kind of function centre there. And we set up a camera uh, on the roof of the grandstand, or the roof of that building. And I set up there with a local Walsh, Spear Walsh, who rolled the camera, and he plugged a tiny little microphone into his camera and I sat there and alongside Spear we called a one camera coverage of the grand final we lost it in the end but um uh, it didn't matter you know we've sort of done the job and that was I think probably the first game of footy that I ever called and did you have did you think that's what you wanted to do or before then or did you know or what was um, it like I always wanted to be once I realized I was no good at playing uh, I always knew I wanted to be a journo. So for the first 10 years of my life, I was a print journo. And um, and then through an absolute stroke of good fortune, through a relationship with somebody who I'd developed as a print journo, an opportunity arose in TV. 
uh, the earliest stages of pay TV in Australia. Um, uh, Optus Vision, people won't even remember it. Um, we were only around for a couple of years. It sort of morphed through a few things, eventually became a thing called C7. Um, and that was the start of it. So it's sort of how it went. After about 10 years of writing um, for a living, I got, I got the opportunity to um, start writing for TV and producing. And that's, that's kind of was the first toe in the water there. How did you go when, when they said, right, you're going to be in front of the camera now? So the first thing that happened, I was producing a show called One on One, really brilliantly titled program. One person sat there talking to another one, one on one, incredibly complex um, title we sort of workshop to come up with. <laughs> and I was producing that show. And one particular afternoon, um, we had a guy called Des Tudnam, legend of the Collingwood Essendon Footy Club, legend of the game. Des Tudnam, Tudnam had been booked to come in and do a show. And we're all there, you know, makeup and records. There were all the people in the record area. Uh, everyone's there. Um, but the bloke who was supposed to do the interview uh, had got his dates wrong and he was in Sydney. So Tuddy had arrived and I rang my boss, Dave Barham, and I said, Dave, um, we've got a bit of a problem here. We just found out that Mike can't make it. He's in Sydney. We're ready to go. Des is here. Um, can you ring someone to get him to come over quickly and do the interview? And he said, no, nah, too late for that. You do it. It was a 30-minute one-on-one interview show, pre-record. It wasn't live. Um, I said, oh, no, I can't. I, 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 and I goes, you can do it. You can do it. Just quickly go and put a collar and tie on, get a jacket and sit down and just do the interview. We, you know, it's costing us too much money to stuff around now. So I sat down with somebody else's shirt, tie and jacket and pants. None of them fit me properly. <laughs> um and I interviewed Des Tudnam for about 45 minutes, which we cut down to about 25 minutes. And it went okay. And that was the end of the bloke up in Sydney. And Dave said, we don't need him anymore. You can keep doing this show. So I started, I had my own show in no time, which was ridiculous. And when you look back at the, uh, at the vision of that first ever oh. interview, what do you think? <laughs> I can't believe how much hair I had, oh, yeah. which is, you know, which you and I. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe, I actually can't, it was an, such an out-of-body experience, you know, the whole, um, I have, I don't really have a physical memory of doing this, like sitting there and doing the show. It was just a, I remember when I said to everybody, look, Dave said, I've got to do it. They went, well, hang on, what? And these are, you know, experienced producers and, you know, directors and audio people and, you know, no, no, you got to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, okay, right, this is going to be a debacle. And so I was feeling all sorts of different layers of pressure going to do that, but it, it went okay. And, so yeah. the moral is you just got to get in and have a crack. Just have a, have a go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the, the other thing is, you know, I'd prepared – you know, as if I'd prepared all the questions and I'd yep. done, you know, I'd prepared for the interview. And I knew Des Tudnam, you know, as a kid growing up, I'd, I'd watched Tuddy, I'd watched his career. So I had a back catalogue back catalog of kind of knowledge that allowed me to fudge my way through. You, you mentioned prepare there. And the thing that amazes me, you know, when I think about you and the work that you do and, you know, then when I got to know you, you know, it amazed me even more because I got to hear some of the stories and hear you talk about this variety of sports that you cover. Is how you prepare. You know, like 
every time I turn the Twitter on, you've got a comment about every different sport that's happening. Uh, you've got all of the other a- avenues that you're involved in. How, how do you prepare? How You've got this savant-like knowledge across such a broad, broad breadth oh, of sport. <laughs> um, well, well thank, I don't, but thanks for saying that. Um, I watch stuff. Mm. I'm just a, I've always been a um, – from – from a very young age, whatever, you know, we had available to us and it's, it was far different back in the seventies when I was growing up, you know, what we can access on television compared to now. God, if I was, uh, if I was a 10 year old kid now with being the 10 year old kid that I was back then, you'd never get me out of the house. I'd have, I'd just be consumed by the amount of content coming into us mm. Um, it, it, my head wouldn't know how to kind of cope with it all. So, so I just watched stuff, you know, I was just kind of watching everything, you know, we had the match of the day coming in once a week, you know, so Liverpool were flying, you know, back in the mid seventies. So that's every two out of every three games we had on the ABC was a Liverpool match. We got the live games coming through from Europe. I remember the European cup games were, you know, being through on this sort of scratchy sepia sort of tone mm-hmm. coverage and, um, you know, the Dalgleish kind of soonest year. So we just, we just absorbed that. Um, and I just kind of watched whatever I could watch and a bit of it embedded and enough of it stayed there to just allow me to kind of pretend to sound like I know what I'm talking about, you know? We mentioned Dalgleish and soonest and you know that I'm a you know proud product of, uh, of course, mate. Scottish parents and uh, yeah. Scottish football was you know part of my upbringing. I'm not a Liverpool fan, as you know. I'm an Arsenal fan at the moment. And, you know, since we lost it on Foxtel, I'm probably not that deeply engaged in it as, as I should be and as I'd like to be, and I don't have the time. But, you know, what's happening with Liverpool? I think, you know what I think? I think last year, they've lost, you know, the centre-back, he's a pretty good player. Yeah. Um, but I think last year's effort was so big was such a huge effort that so much emotional energy, this is my theory, so much emotional energy was poured into it. Um, and it was such an unusual year, you know, with the COVID and no one there and that, um, that I think it's just taken their t- taken yeah. a toll. I mean, Man City are playing pretty well. Like they're clearly, you know, a bit too good at the moment. But I just, I think the tank's empty and they can't, they can't find, you know, there's, so I think they'll bounce back. They're pretty talented, but um Oh, they just got to hang on to a spot in the top four now. Still Champions League active, so you know they've got some big things to play for. That uh, soonest Dalgleish era was pretty special. That was one of the things that I credit getting me interested in in soccer and you know hearing my dad talk about you know these guys that were from Scotland playing in England and and just watching them and you know of course Craig Johnson who was from Newcastle yeah. up there in the Hunter Valley. Uh, it was it was a great time. I remember more about Liverpool actually than I do about Arsenal. <laughs> well, it's, I'm not surprised. And it was a, it was another it was that time on telly and another Scotsman, um, Sean Connery, who uh, had a massive bearing. I, mean, I grew up in a golf family, but um, who had a massive bearing on my interest in golf because we got at about the same time we were getting pro celebrity golf coming in. You know, Ronnie Corbett mm. and you know the others, and Connery was a standard feature on that and you know anybody who can remember the show remembers how it was shot and edited and packaged up just made the game look like a game that had to be played i i can remember that you know my dad obviously watched uh that what was it called again what was pro that? Celeb- pro, pro celebrity pro golf, golf i think yeah. yeah so i can remember ronnie corbett and and sean connery playing golf with uh you know they'd play all over the place but in st mm-hmm. andrews and that sort of thing 
Yeah, we sort of we, they sort of try and do it now, don't they? With uh, you know the stuff they're doing with Phil and and the the football guys, but we I reckon we miss that. What do you reckon? They're not as charming. Yeah, people do these guys. You know, Mickelson. Mickelson's not a. Well, I don't think he's a charming guy. He's not my cup of tea. But they're just um, you know the the golf pros back in those days were just a different type. They're a bit more worldly. You know, they haven't grown up. They're not institutionalized by the game. You know. There aren't many interesting – well, I shouldn't say that. Of the top flight players on the planet, not too many of them that when they speak, you stop everything and listen to what they've got to say because it is so interesting. There's so many interesting people in golf. But but for Rory in the last maybe 12 to 24 months, you know, Tiger never really – Tiger wasn't that interesting to listen to. You know, we loved watching him play. Greg, Greg never said anything that was interesting. Whatever Greg spoke, it was kind of pretty daft. Feldo was probably as interesting as anybody, but he was a, you know, bag of neuroses when he was a pro. I mean, he's great now, I reckon. Mm. Again, probably not everyone's cup of tea, but I don't know. There's not not too many of the absolute frontliners had the the worldliness that maybe a couple of those others did back in the day. I, that's my vague memory of what they were like. You, you mentioned there, and I'll, I'll sort of sidetrack for a sec, you know, Faldo not being everyone's cup of tea as a, as a commentator. He was a wonderful player, and as, as you mm. say, he had his issues there for a while, and I can remember those. But, you know, as a commentator, he's not everyone's cup of tea. Do you, do you ever get any of that? Do you, have, you know, like, do you have to deal with that sort of stuff? You know, how do you deal oh, with the, the, bomb, the bombarding of people just having a swipe at you and all of that no, sort of yeah, stuff? No, all the time. It's... Um so it, you get it on social media is the great platform for abuse. It's the great sort of abuser. But, um, you know, people are talking about the cancel culture in the last 12 months sort of politically. Well, thank God Twitter's allowed us to exercise a cancel culture for um, yeah. ever since its inception with, you know, musing and blocking. So the minute I'm, you're always happy to take on, if, if you say something and people disagree with you, then fantastic. You know, let's have a, let's have a chat and let me know what your view is and, Maybe you can bring me over to yours and I'll admit that mine was flawed. But the minute you just get a blatant, flat-out, you know, personal abuse, mm. and it's often not even stuff that gets directed at me. I'm, I'm old enough now not to worry about that. But when I see it directed at other people, particularly on cl- people I'm close to, uh, that that's the stuff that worries me. Mm. And, um, some people are more capable of coping with that. Than others, I think. I think Nick's probably got a pretty thick hide by now. I reckon he has. Mm. When you when you watch golf now, and you know, you consider where it is as a entertainment product, and you know, I guess that's what we what we have, and that's what it is. Um, you know, what do you think? You know, if you had to, you know, sit up there in the director's booth and and tweak the knobs, what would you be doing? I'd make. I'd, I would demand that I would uh, that I wouldn't worry about what the PGA Tour says. Mm. I would say we're paying the checks. So if you want our money, you let us have, let us do an unfettered broadcast. And by that I mean if we see something that um, is controversial, not to our liking, perhaps brings the game into disrepute because of the behaviour of an individual playing the game, we will call it out. I want my commentators to be honest and I want them to tell me what we're seeing. Don't the, – the, and, and we got a great – I think we finally got it with the most recent Patrick Reed, you know, um, incident, I, I think we saw it. You know, I think finally we got 
you know, we had a cohort of commentators who maybe enough's enough with this bloke in particular, but they covered it properly. You know, they, they didn't bury it like he tried to bury his golf ball. Mm. They, they actually called it out for what it was. And it was the most interesting um, American broadcast that I've seen for, for a day um, that I can maybe even ever remember because they, they were calling it, they were calling it out. Are you surprised at the way that the PGA Tour choose to handle, you know, issues like that, or do you no. just no, you're not? No, no, no. They're a, you know, they're a, they're an organisation run by conservative, rich, powerful white men, uh, for whom brand management is important. Their own reputations are important, um, and they they would prefer to sidestep any sort of controversy, any sort of controversy um, to just keep the waters smooth. So um, that's a, that's a broad sweep and that's a real generalization, but, um, but no, they're, they're as good as in inverted commas or not. They are as good as any sporting organization in the world at controlling the narrative. Mm. Do you think, you know, in a time when, inclusivity is so important to everything in life but uh you know golf in particular in this case you know do do you think they get in the way of of that um that's a really good question um probably possibly i think we saw something really i think um under the decade and a bit of mike wan's mike wan's um stewardship of the lpga i think we saw what can be done Mm. in terms of in terms of that um, before he arrived, some of the language um, around the uh, Korean players who were starting to you know, really take a foothold in the game was 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 it was borderline. It was actually pretty racist. It was it was unacceptable the stuff. Oh, they can't speak. You know, their language is no good. They shouldn't be allowed in. You know, they're taking the spots of American. Some of the stuff, if you if you remember back, it was pretty un- it was pretty unsavory, and. And Mike Wan, to his credit, with his executive team, um, and others will know more about this than me. I'm, I'm very much, I've been watching this from a distance, but he was all, no, 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 no. We are, we can't make these players feel unwelcome because English is not their first language. They are so good, and they are, as a region, they are going to produce so many world class players that we have to have them on our tour, and they will elevate the games of everybody around them. And you look at, you know, you look at the world of women's golf in particular, um, and we're starting to see it now in the men's game. Um, the talent pool is so extraordinary. Imagine if we didn't encourage that. Imagine if we had a, an organization that shunned, you'd go and play on your own, go and play on your own tours. You know, you can come and play in the majors if you qualify, but no, no, we're going to keep our American tour for a, you know, a certain type mm. and you can you can go and play elsewhere. Um, I think he's done a remarkable job and they, they've, shot, they've shone a light, I think, the LPGA on what can be in that respect. You enjoy your women's sport. You enjoy your women's golf and you're a massive advocate for it. How good? You know, when you invest the time in, in watching the girls play golf and 
and in this podcast, you know, like interviews mm-hmm. about their go- love of golf, and and then I've got my mate Rocket. I think you had a bit of a Twitter in, um, yeah, exchange yeah. with Rocket today, and and we we're gu- we're guilty of of sometimes you know not giving the the girls game, you know, the, the fullest intent of of covering. We don't cover it, you know, it's not the right way mm. to use it, but just chatting about it. I sometimes sit back and go, you know, we just breeze by that, and I. I'm mad at myself and I try and do better better at it, but you're a massive advocate for it, you know, and just back to the point is, you know, how good is women's golf and how enjoyable is it to, to watch? Well, I remember there was a um, – I used to be a member of Commonwealth as a kid and um, down here in Melbourne, and there was a – what I mean, the Australian women's amateur was played – I won't even try and guess what the year was because I'll be – I could be a decade off. But there was a, a rising star of Australian women's golf by the name of Nicole Lowian. and she was a she was a you know she was yeah. she could have you know she yep. I played oh, I played junior golf uh, against Nicole up in the Hunter right. Valley. She would come up there and and she was the superstar at the time. Yep. So you know her, yeah. and so she was um, she's one of the headliners uh, of the tournament that year, and I thought I was probably playing reasonable. I was probably playing the best golf of my life. I was probably down to. 11 around about that I would have been early to mid twenties. And I thought I'll go and watch her play. I'll go and watch the women play at my golf course. And I'd probably never, in fact, I don't think I'd ever watched women's golf before. And they were hitting the ball better than me, like, you know, pure and their control was something I could only dream of having. But my good shots were not far behind them. So I developed, I thought, hey, I can go, and I've been going and watching men's golf for years and you get blown away by the power and the lines they take and, um, you know, what they can do with a golf ball. But it's inconceivable that I could ever do what they can do. So in terms of what I could actually get out of the men's game, it was unachievable. But watching the women play, if I had of you know, really knuckled down and played more more golf than I sh- than, than I did, and as much golf as I should have, I would have um, worked on women's tempo. Give me, I want to. That's what I want to do. I want to. I want to swing the club like they do, and I want to learn how to control the ball the way they because they were hitting it to the places that I could have hit it to on my golf course. So from an instructional nothing if for nothing else from an instructional um tool they were so much more value to me um than watching the men it wasn't even a comparison yeah and for me watching the girls play at troon uh last year and at the uh yeah, the british right. women's open that was that was sensational i quite often wonder what happened to nicole the um she yeah. was she was it, a genuine she get her on she, she get her on you get her on hunt her down and have a chat to her she was Fascinating, genuine women's superstar. But at, at the same time, you know, you had the Wendy Doolins of the world who played yep. in Europe uh, many years. Tammy Durden, you know, from South Australia. Who else? You know, we had Dale Marshall, who I'm, you know, grew yep. up with, going to school with. She's a wonderful woman, da- like young lady down here at uh, Metropolitan, working down there and playing at Kingston Heath. Who else do we have? Um, obviously, Ed Kari and Rachel Hetherington around yep. that time. So there was so many great Australian uh, women talent. I, I never really saw the girls play in a professional sense um, until I got the opportunity to go to the Vic Open and you've, mm. you've done some work down there at the Vic Open and uh, it was it was just a, uh, a great tournament for me to, to see the boys and the girls playing together. How good is it? You you guys have talked about that on Inside the Ropes at length every time that it seems to, to – and every time that it comes around. You know, what, what does the world of golf have to do to 
embrace more of that because I just see it as an absolute zero-brainer to, to that that should be a way that we should place maybe not all if it was all I don't care but at least some por- portion of the professional game year in year out I agree I couldn't agree with you more I, in fact I, I think it takes a um, I mean the Vic Open's got a couple of things going for it you know that people listening to you and I don't, we don't need to explain why it works but it's a con- it's a convergence of all of the factors that make the Vic Open special that are required to be duplicated elsewhere, and they might have they might have the golf courses, and they might have the um, um, they might have the title, and they might have the money, and they might. But maybe they don't have the volunteers that make it. Maybe they don't have the charm of um, a a regional community throwing its complete community support behind it and using. Not the tournament not only to um, kind of um, market themselves, you know, as a region, but to have fun. Well, that's a great thing about the Vic Open. You, the, the locals in, down on the Bellarine Peninsula, they, they bloody, they love that. Mm. They love being part of that. They love having that. And they make it. It's friendly. It's, it's, a, it's always, the weather's generally really good down there. It's, um, the courses lend themselves to the tournament, Um Profile. It's there's a lot that makes that a pretty special event. Plus, there's a willingness. I mean, the Victorian state government, to its credit, I know they're copping a fair bit at the moment from certain quarters, but um, they have thrown an enormous amount of support behind that tournament. So it's another one of those add-ons that you know when you put all of the pieces into the the pile, you end up with this magical event. Um, so it's probably not as easy to replicate as you and I sit here and think it should be. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Because um, I agree with you. It should be happening in more places. And they've, they've started to dip the toe in the water. I think in uh, in the UK they had a, a mixed um, professional event uh, or series this year. Uh, the, uh, definitely in Scotland they had that. They had yeah, the they boys, tried it in Scotland. Yeah, yeah they had the yeah. boys and the girls playing together. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of covering golf, you've done a fair bit of that. Mm. Do you Do you – What's your what's your number one sport to cover? You know, if you say, you know, I'm just got to do one for the rest of it, I'm going to do this. Is it golf? Is it footy? Is it where do, where do you sit on I, that? I, if if it, I would have said, I would say golf. Really? If I could, yep, yep. There was a moment. There was a moment in time when I um, there was a there was a Channel Ten um, had the rights to the Australian summer of golf, and it was pretty it's pretty inextensive. Let's let's be honest. So there's not too much to it. But they had started up their a digital channel, an HD digital channel called One HD, still around now. And when One HD was first constructed, everybody had ten bid for it. News wanted it, entertainment wanted it, local product wanted it, sport wanted it, sport got it. Right internally, there's a massive Donny Brook to see who could get hold of One HD, and sport got it. And I remember we had a meeting um, in South Yarra down at the Channel Ten you know offices. Um, Grant Blackley was our general manager and he came down and he had the six or seven of us in a room and he said, right, you might be wondering why I've called you here today. <laughs> and he outlined this vision for one HD. They were talking about one Asia being, you know, this, this new wave of professional golf in the region, the Australian PGA um, suite was going to be kind of um, part of that. It was going to be a 35 week a year, a million dollar a week minimum um, tour, 
and it was going to be a tour that would offer a livelihood for every second-tier Australian or be or above who wanted to, who was sick of travelling, sick of living away from home, sick of living overseas. You could base yourself in Australia. There were going to be 10 tournaments played on the Australian mainland or, or Tasmania and the other 25 tournaments, I'm, I'm you know, sort of fudging the numbers here a bit, but the other 25 tournaments a year would be played no further away than a six or seven hour flight. So that was the pitch and it was going to be awesome. And it was going to be, and so that was going to be my life. Like I was going to be a part of that team. We were so excited. And then, you know, Chilahan and the Asian tour, pretty strong tour sort of realised, hang on, this is starting to go somewhere here, this thing, so we better kill it. So they just used their influence and they killed it. So mm. that was the end of that. I think back to that time and I remember it, you know, sort of coming back into golf and, you know, getting really interested in the professional level game and, and I remember that uh, happening and just thinking that was absolute tragedy for all of those young guys in Australia. Some of them I knew uh, yeah. through growing up in, in golf and, and knowing that they were out there wanting to do that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was absolutely tragedy. Um, you know, Australian Open covering those for Golf Australia. You know, what are, what are some of the standout moments that you've had, you know, sitting down there at uh, the lakes or the, the Australian and, you know, whatever one of the ones that you've covered, what do you, what do you, what do you remember? Go there? On. Um, um, I remember a Saturday I've become a bit invested in Lucas Herbert, um, so we've, you know, we've, we've, we've had dramatic finishers and we've followed Jordan Spieth and we've, you know, we've had you know, Jason Day and we've had Adam Scott, Adam Scott winning at, in fact, Adam Scott, the day Adam Scott won, sorry, the tournament Adam Scott won at New South Wales, which was a hellish event. Um, you're looking at me like, I think it was New South Wales. No, I'm looking at, I'm trying to remember exactly how far it was, back that was. It was, that, it was that tournament where it was weather affected at the start and there were players hitting off at about, I remember Cam Percy hit off at about 10 past seven on the Thursday evening. And they just, you've got to play some, you just got to play some holes, you know, get some holes played before yeah. it's too dark, come back the next day. And they had really bad weather. Appleby shot again, 65, 66 in the back. You got the bad end of the weather on the Thursday and the Friday and shot 65, 66. It was unbelievable golf. And then Scotty ran him down over the weekend. And I remember it was the first big breakthrough for Adam Scott in Australia. And God, I hope I've got my clubs right here. My brain's, I'm pretty sure it was New South Wales. Anyway, Scotty won. And um, it was, I remember I interviewed him as he walked off the 18th green up to the scorer's hut. You know, the crush of people, everyone patting him on the back. And I got two or three questions with him on the way up to the, and he was just the smile, that million-dollar Adam Scott smile mm. was um, just to be close to somebody like him who for whom that was a really important day, so important that I'm doubting I've got the right club. No, I, think, um, I think you're right. I, I, I think just, I'm right, it, it's, yeah. But it's good for years ago now. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah. So it was his first breakthrough, real breakthrough in Australia. Yeah. Um, and you could see the relief. You know, you could see... It was just coming out of him. Um, I remember one day we were at the lakes when John Daly hit, emptied, emptied his bag, hit the 11, on, a, on 11, mm. 10 or 11, 11, yeah. it tends to shoot 11 around the lake. He kept going for it. And um, 
dropped. It was Tin Cup. Give me another yeah. one. And he was never going to make it. Like he was, and he DQ'd. And um, that was pretty poor form. It has to be one of the most insane acts on a golf course that in any professional level at any tour of all time. Yep. Yep. And paid big money to come out here. Yeah. Clearly he wasn't in a great headspace, but, yeah. you know, everyone had been, everyone had been telling those involved in bringing him out here that he, you know, that he, and I remember that day getting back to that sort of controlling the narrative. I, I remember that day I was out on the course and um, I was, I jumped over from 10 and I was, because I could see Daly hit one or two in the water. So I jumped over and he'd hit his third ball in the water, then his fourth. And, I, and I've said, you've got to come down to me. I've got the camera over. So we're right behind Daly on the fairway, right there. And he's hitting these, trying to draw them and power fades in. And he was never going to, and I remember I was saying, you've got to come to me. Daly's about to disqualify here. He's, he's going to, He's running out of balls and um, they refused to put it on. <laughs> they thought he, it would bring the tournament. It'd be a bad look. Those who made the call, it'd be a bad look. Uh, he didn't deserve, we didn't want him, you know, disrespecting our tournament like that. And so they refused to put it on. And I was, I remember, it, I mean, I was so insignificant compared to some of the people who were heading up that coverage, but, um, yeah, I, I, I had to say something at the end of the day. I thought that was an incredibly bad call. But goes to your point about we talked before about the PGA Tour and yep. just just letting stuff let it, letting letting it happen and letting people see yep. what what happens. They're, you know, back to that point for a sec. You know, they're, they're very guarded. And I, I was having a chat with someone the other day, and you know, you love your, your motorsport as well, um, Formula One, and just the the focus that's gone towards Formula One on the back of that Netflix documentary that every man and their dog seems to have watched. Now, my son, who's 21, but he watched that three years ago, and he is now the savant on Formula One. Yeah. I, he hated Formula One. When I was working for Mercedes-Benz and, and having to go and give up weekends and go to these things, which was, wasn't a problem, by the way, um, he didn't have an interest in that. But now he knows about it, and, and it just seems that they've, I guess, humanised the people who do these unbelievable things a little bit more. And mm. maybe golf could take a little bit out of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No doubt. I mean, I think we need – it helps when you've got generational talent who are prepared to be that person for the consumer, you know, and they they are easy to listen to and, um, and cut across. We, we, need, we need some – I mean, Tiger, Tiger could have been that, but, you know, he was bedeviled by so many of these, mm. you know, errors of his own making that in, in, in the other part of – you know, the Tiger story became as compelling as what he was doing on the golf course, you know. Talk about uh, a friend of the podcast and, and someone who I've recently had a game of golf with who the listeners will know because I skited about it, um, Lu- Lucas Herbert. Yep. And, you know, he, he's, he's got the potential to be that sort of raw, engaging, just says what he wants, shoots from the yep. hip, sort of, you know, has a bit of fun and doesn't really, you know, give to hoots too, too, too much about it. So, um, yeah, more, more of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I love him. I think he's great. He's potentially, and I know he's, he won't mind me saying there's probably a rough edge or two, you know, but I, I love, he knows that I'm, I'm a fanboy like you and I reckon he's great for the game and I know he's had his issue, but that's okay. He'll learn from all of the things that he's, you know, been through already in the game and he's been through a lot mm. good and, you know, a little bit of bad. Um, I think he's, I think he's a great, you know, media talent and um, yeah, if he, if he can, be what some of us are barracking and hoping for him to be, then he could be 
think he'd be great. Absolutely could. Well, his stocks are trending in the right direction in a, in a golf sense, you know. Like So you know, before Christmas, I had a game of golf with him at PK and he's rocked up with these old sticks. I don't know if you guys got the chance to st- speak to him about it, but he's got these old Walter Hagen blades. Must They were older than me at least. They were in the yep. early 70s. And uh, some old persimmon wood and this old bag. He turns up straight to the tee, no warm-up, and just maybe not the first hole. He doubled the first uh, south at PK, but he had shot five under that day. Wow. Playing with, with, the, with that with that equipment. Playing with these old yep. old yep. things. And yep. for me, that was just a massive eye-opener about what the ball does. Yep. And you talked about it last week on Inside the Ropes with Clates at length, who, you know, is you, – you've had the pl- – privilege and pleasure of Clate's company many, 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 many times. And, you know, every time I see Clate's on the podcast, I always listen to it. And now that you've got him to be able to work out where the microphone is and you've got to talk into it to, right. to hear it, <laughs> early days, you're always yeah. like, Clate's microphone, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the discussion that you had with him last week about the rollback, just for those that don't listen or haven't listened to it, you should go and listen to it. Um, but let's just cover off that topic because mm. for me that that match with uh, Lucas, watching him pound these clubs that were I used to play with as a kid yep. and, and hit the ball 340 metres with old technology, I thought, wow, there's something, you know, I, I get it. I finally got it. The penny dropped. So there's two there's two parts to this. One is the, you know, protection of the, the time-honoured facilities and the you know the the capacity for these guys to make the game outgrow itself in terms of you know distance, um, and then we have to build you know all you know the debate. Everyone's heard the debate um, now, so there's there's that part. It's the threat to the great traditional golf courses and every club in the bag. That that's the threat. You know, do we want do we want the best players in the world showing that they can hit three irons off the deck? into par fours. Do, do we want to see that? So you, these are the questions. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I have to do it. So it'd be nice to see them do it, you know, albeit they hit it 40, 50, 60 you know, metres further than I do, but I'd still like to see them do it. Well, you never see them do it. They never hit anything more than an eight iron into a par four ever, mm. these blokes. Um, so there, there's all of that, which which is a really worthwhile um, you know, conversation, one that the RNA and the USGA clearly agree now based on the review and the recommendations, you know, enough's enough. You know, we, we can't let it go any further. The other part of it though, is what do people want to see? You know, you and I who pay for our you know, streaming service or our pay TV subscription, who go to a tournament, what do we want to see? Like, I don't necessarily want to see, um, the next wave of I don't know I don't want to see what the next version of Bryson DeChambeau looks like I don't, I don't want to see that but some people might mm. some people want to see a you know, a robot you know a, a flesh and bone robot who just it's all about clubhead speed matching or getting all the things matching up with the technology that allows somebody to just carry the ball you know pick a number four hundred yards whatever the number is maybe that's what people want to see. And if they do, then who's to say that we shouldn't allow them to do it? They're, so they're the two, they're the two arguments, or the sort of you know polar. And then in between, there's a bunch of you know other stuff you can lay in. But um, I'm I'm in the I'm in the former camp, you know. Like I'm in the I'm in the Clayton camp on this one, you know. There's, what's Clayton's thoughts on you know when will they get to? the potential for bifurcating the, the golf ball. 
So he was saying that by 2024 at the Open Championship, I think he said, mm-hmm. we'll stand to be corrected, but uh, 2024 Open Championship, they'll be playing a bifurcated ball. Mm-hmm. So that's what he envisages will be the timeline between where we are now and, and how long it'll take us to get there. I go back to Formula One and, you know, there's a sport when they need to change the product to, you know, make it safer for the manufacturers who pay yep. the money, uh, yep. when, when they need to get more eyeballs on there and they, may, they need to make the product better by closer racing, have more people in the mix, they change the rules. They do, they yep. do, they do things to make their product as best as it possibly can be safe on the racetracks, you know, their, their golf course is a racetrack, you know, okay, they're going too fast for that course, we need to change it. They, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, that's one of the biggest, most financially, you know, astute organisations in the world. Maybe not, but um, you know what I mean. I do. And I can't, I can't see why, you know, if, and if, if there's anyone, I'm talking to real-life golfers all day, every day. I'm selling them their Pro V1s mm. and their Callaway Chrome Softs and, and all of that sort, sorts of things. And the conversation isn't around that in, in, in the small percent of the, percentage of the time around how far will it go. They just want to know what's going to be the best one for them relative to how they play the game now. And they, they, they don't care if it's the same ball as what Tiger uses or whatever else because they just yeah. want to get their ball around Morak, Peninsula Kingswood, Barwon Heads or wherever it is in the least amount of strokes and which one goes best for them. That's it. Well, as Clates often says, you know, it's the don't take my guns, don't take my 45 yards. Like, don't take it off me. It's mine. It's the part of my constitutional right to have it. Um, you know, particularly in America, don't take it off me. Mm. Well, maybe for the maybe for the good of the game, um, we do need to wind it back. You know, because go- golf can't golf courses can't continue to grow at the no. They can't. They can't the game can't afford it. It's, it's unsustainable. So, yeah, they won't. Mr. Titleist will sell as many golf balls as he of can because he you, will. Cause you keep losing them. I keep losing them. You know, my joke, you know, how, how are you going, Ross? I said, you keep losing them. I keep selling them. You know, that's pretty pretty yeah, simple mathematics. When was the last time Rory paid for a golf ball? Exactly. Um, but the point that Clates makes, which I don't think, uh, you know, unless you're as old as me and, you know, as, you know, as old as us, um, the, the the change of the ball, the, the small ball to the big ball, you know, when they went to the big ball in the States, they lost, they lost distance. Hmm. You know, and why did they change to a big ball? Because it wasn't sitting on the grass properly. Mm. You know, like makes they've done it before. Yep. Oh no, no, the game's forever been changing, but it's been. Um, this is the first time um, in this playing cohort's um, lifetime that something is being. Well, no, no, it's not the first time that something's been taken away because we've moderated the face of drivers, and you know there have been regulations that have seen, you know, certain groove faces. Outlawed, and I mean, so so changes have been, as you very well know, you know more about this stuff than I do. But changes have been made to legislate out of the game several things that have made the performance of the equipment, you know, better. So, um, and in the eyes of some, unfairly better. So, you know, it's not unprecedented. It just seems to have been a really big deal, and um, you know, we're obsessed with yardage. You know, we watch, you know, the ball tracer and uh, you know, we we all and we've all played you know simulators, and mm. you know, we all get obsessed with. Oh, look how far that went! You know, I want to see a ball that 
curves like an old blada ball. It spins back on the green like an old blada ball. But I'd probably think about if it was me giving giving the pros the choice of two balls, like you know, like the Formula One teams get a choice of tyres and they can they can choose their strategy, you know. And mm. but they both go sort of similar distance, but one spins more and one spins less. Yep. And and depending on depending Great. on the players, you know, they can they yep. can choose and they're going to get a benefit either way. I Fantastic. And, and, you know, and that would be – I think they would live with that. Oh, so we've still got, you know, the capacity to choose. You know, we're not all playing the same ball. Okay, well, this is good. We've, and wouldn't it be great if we could see pl- the ability to um, watch players shape golf balls again? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, they are – they can and they do, obviously, but – not the way they used to, you know. Well, that just doesn't happen like it used to. Well, they don't. They don't need to. But the ball's not designed to to mm. have a, you know, big ropey draw all time, all, all the time. So that, you know. But anyway, um, yep. So we talked about, I think maybe off air, but we talked about how, uh, you know, inside the ropes, and and you influenced uh, part of my podcast journey. Um, and I remember the call. I was sitting in the workshop. Uh, I was probably changing some grips on someone's clubs, and the call came through. It was you. It was a nice surprise. And you said, oh, "I'm doing this podcast with Golf Australia, and um, we might want to talk about some product." Well, that part never happened, but you know, <laughs> it was it was it was then when I started thinking about this. And you know what? The other other and you'll laugh at this because you know you and I are blues fans. Uh, the other person that influenced that podcasting journey for my love of golf was Dylan yep. Bu- Dylan Buckley. Right? How? Well, I helped because because he, of his podcast well it was before he started that but he yeah. put this little picture up on his instagram and i i knew dylan a little bit because of the guys that come and uh, help them with their golf clubs and uh he put this little device on his instagram and said see this i'm going to start making some audio stuff with this thing it was a little zoom h5 recorder hey dylan what's that thing he said oh that's what a, a recorder and i'm going to start making a podcast and it's like if Dylan can make a podcast, so can I. Yeah. One of one of us has kicked on, and one of us still uh, but, flogging golf balls. But, but what a joy! What a joy for you, I imagine. I can tell because you're still doing it, and you're doing it into your, you know, you're into the hundreds now of these shows that you've been doing. So, what a joy to be able to access people, yeah. just people who share your love of the game, and just have a chat to them. It's great. Um, I'm I'm not short of a chat. Now we talked about Golf Australia just there briefly. The Inside the Ropes podcast. It's what are you, hundred nine, nearly two hundred episodes. Nearly two hundred. Yeah, we're up to one hundred ninety-five or six this week. Yeah, yeah. What's it like being part of that crew? You know, you've spoken to some unbelievable people from the professional level, from the administrative level, all across, all around the world. Um, it must give you a lot of joy to sit down and you know press the button. Oh, my joke is I, pre- I just press the buttons here and let the people talk. Um, it must give you a, the, a lot of pleasure to press the buttons and have a few chats with uh, those guys. Yeah, look, it's 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 Mark. Most people who listen to your show probably know the name Mark Hayes, um, golf writer, turned into the media manager for Golf Australia, and it's really Hayes's baby, you know. Um, and he has he has an incredible passion for the game. Um, it's and he brings it. He brings us together. And to be able to, like you said before, you know about Mike Clayton. He's not the only one, but to be able to sit there with him and ask novice questions questions to somebody who has um, as deep and encyclopedic and intricate knowledge of the game as anybody, I think, on planet Earth. Mm. I, I just I defy anyone to match Clayton for the the, the breadth of his 
knowledge and, and wisdom around the game. Well, you're not, again, Clates isn't everyone's cup of tea. You know, you, you mentioned Clayton designs to a room full of 50 golf people and 25 of them will say the bike's a genius and 25 will say he ruined me club. I mean, that, or maybe not 25, 25, it might be a bit more favorable than that, but you know that, you know what, I'm, yeah. you get my point. Yeah. Um, he is an antagonist and he's a man of his own opinion. And, but to sit there and listen to him find information and anecdote and, um, it's just amazing. And then you see, you know, because of, um, you know, social media and the World Wide Web, you get a sense for how highly um, considered he is by the global golfing community, whether they be ex-players or um, media, whoever it might be. Um, so that's, it's, it's, a, it's a, we're blessed. And we get access to, you know, by virtue of Hazy's, connection we, we get access to you know australian golfers all over the world and we're in such good hands you know there are so many good you know we've had this lovely little group of um you know top level international pros you know in the last 20 years spearheaded by you know adam scott and jason day probably in particular but now the, the next level under it's deeper hopefully it's as good you now we've already seen hannah and minji and now we need a couple of the boys to, you know, start to get to the level that they're at. But we're um, we're very lucky on that show to be able to touch base with, you know, the front kind of the spearheads of Australian golf. Which and I'm I'm just I sit back and just go along for the ride. I love it. It's great. No, I I and I absolutely uh, love tuning in. Now the thing back to back to Clates and also the young crop of future. Australian golf stars, the thing that I admire Clates for a lot is his ability to, you know, despite his you know, experience and his age, and most people would be, you know, running away from the, the young ones, you know, he comes towards them, you know, he's, oh, yeah. you know, he's yep. caddying for the young young ones, he's putting on the events and getting all these young amateurs through um, last year's COVID uh, period to get them down to the St Andrews yeah, Beach and, that, how good and he's coming yeah. towards them and uh, you know when you, when you see someone like him pass, wanting to pass on that level of uh, knowledge, insight and experience, you know, it's... um. Very, very impressive, you know, and he's uh, on the architecture front, you know, like I, I'm not an architect. Uh, I like a bit of built architecture and that was the thing that yeah. got me into golf architecture. But once one, one thing I learned about, you know, the built form is not everyone likes every building that's ever designed or, or built. But, you know, if you said to, if I said to you about Federation Square, you know, you, and I just moved to Melbourne when they were putting Federation Square up and, you know, coming down from Sydney where we had the Opera House and all of the other stuff that had been up for years and whatever, you know, there's a big outroar with Federation Square. People, people hated it. Yeah, it was very polarizing. Would you take it away today? I wouldn't. No, no, no one in Melbourne would. No, and you know, and I, I remember, you know, before I had any interest in golf architecture, but I remember, you know, I never got to play at the lakes in the Australian as a kid, but I drove that freeway up and down, you know, through Sydney from the Hunter Valley down to wherever I was going to work, and the lakes is on one side and the Australians on the other side. You could never see the Australian, but you could see the lakes. Mm. And when they did that redo, when which Mike did, and they put all those sandy wastelands in. And I was sort of loosely involved in golf at the time playing and people were like, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. You, you wouldn't have it any other way now. He was ahead of his time. So the, the, I agree some people would have it some other way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what he does when he does um, a restoration or a renovation, you know, on a course that's existing like the lakes, to use it as an example, was the first thing he does is go back and have a look at the original drawings. Mm-hmm. 
and the original carting of the course and the original routing and the original vegetation plans and the original everything. Anything he can get his hands on that tells you what the golf course was intended to be, he goes back and finds it. And it, and seemingly it makes sense. And if it makes sense, as it was proposed 80 or 90 years ago, let's get it back to that. Mm. You know, decades and generations of board members have come in and said, oh, no, we should stick some trees there and plant some shrubs there and put a garden bed over here and let's beautiful. It looks, it looks a bit brown and a bit sparse. And, well, it actually looks Australian. You know, that's what Australia looks like in summer. Mm. Um, let's not fill it full of stuff that shouldn't be there. It was never in, Nature never intended it to be there. It grows like weeds. It over... I mean, you know, I haven't been back to Commonwealth. They've, and I don't think they've finished what they started out doing at Commonwealth. But I remember going back there for a um, for a trade day or a pro-am or something or other years after I'd been a member there. And, and, and seeing through lines across fairways that I'd never seen when mm. I was a member. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it's, they've, and it was all about getting rid of stuff that shouldn't have been there in the first, and wasn't there in the first place. And I'm not sure it ever got finished. I apologize to Commonwealth members if I've got my, I haven't got all the full story there, but, um, but that's what he does, you know, and he's, um, and I love it. I, I've, again, I know, I know 1% of, of what Mike Clayton's talking about when he's talking about it. But the 1% I get, I go, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly the way it should be. Mm. Um, I, think he's, I think he's a national treasure. I really do. You should get him on your show. You'd love it. You'd have him on for four hours. You'd never stop talking to him. <laughs> You'd love to get him on. We've met, we've met just once and uh, you know, he seemed to know who I was and obviously I knew, know who he was. So that was uh, quite a nice little acknowledgement that uh, he, we knew each other. But, um, yeah, I, I would. And I, I actually get a little bit um, – I don't know what the right way to – you know, you're going to say, wake up to yourself. Um, but I get a little bit shy in asking people like Mike to come and talk to me on, you know, this type of environment. I just, I just end up pushing away going, oh, why would he want to talk to me? And maybe that sounds a bit silly, but uh, it doesn't. No, no, no. Say. It's easy to be intimidated by people like him. Um, if that is, that, that's, you know, that happens, I reckon. It happens to me. But um, when you when you suspect that you might be exposed a bit, but he doesn't care. He, he's if you've got a genuine interest in the game and you're prepared and you're happy to listen, and he doesn't care if you take him on. He he welcomes that. Yeah. Um, that's all. That's all he cares about. And I think that's all. People are you wasting my time? Are you wasting my time because you're just doing it to tick a box and you know fill half an hour? Or do you really care? Mm. And if you really care, then they'll sniff that. You know, they, the Mike Clayton's, and the they'll they'll sniff that out pretty quickly, um, and they'll they're happy to talk to you. Well, um, I will I will do that uh, and talk to Mike and Mike if you get the chance to listen to this. Um, thank you, <laughs> thank you in advance for saying yes. <laughs> but I just get the fact that they've been on every other golf podcast know, and they're doing it all the time. And like it, Mike's on, he's been on anyway. There's and there's yeah, several. Shackleford has you. I mean, every, yeah. like every but I think that's. Um. I mean, I love his website. I think, you know, I think you should be, I don't read it every week, but I think Shackleford's, if you've got, if you've got an appetite to consume, um, then I would make his website um, 
must go to once a week. Yeah. Just, just go and see what how he's handling, and I think he's one of those. It's worth um, spending some time with as well. Now back to the young, the young golfers and the next crop. Mm. You know, so you mentioned a couple of uh, ones to look out for there: Minji, Hannah. Um, who on the boys? You know, you got Lucas, you've got Min Woo. Who else? What? What about? Uh, um, if there's one, and again, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to sound like a bit of a Clayton acolyte here, but I've seen enough with my own eyes um, of Elvis Smiley mm-hmm. to think that he might be pretty special. Um, I think he is made of. Not only has he got a beautiful Langwood golf swing, to my eye, not being a swing technician whatsoever, but I, I like the look of, I like the way he plays golf, but I think he's made of the right competitive stuff. I think he's, you know, comes from pretty good competitive stock, obviously. And um, yeah, he's good, just got the right amount of, you know what, yeah. the stuff you need, you know? Um, well, so I think I'd, I'd be watching him. Now, mate, just to finish up, I've got a couple of questions here from Rocket. Um, I think we've covered off, uh, how you find time to cover all the sports? You've talked about that. Poor uh, bugger today too. He was stiff. He had a little. He had a little wager on Nate Lashley. We're, we're talking the Monday night after the final round at Pebble Beach today, and oh, that was hard to watch. That was really hard to watch. Mm. Would have been harder for Rocket, I think. Well, he showed out on Brooks, Brooks Kepka last week and did did pretty well on Brooks. Okay. Um, so yeah. you know you don't win them all, Rocket, but um, no, but it was. It, was looking like a fairly fair, solid tip there for a good while. He's asked a personal question from me. How awesome is Bob Murphy and does Bob wear his wool line denim jacket much? <laughs> he does in winter. He wears it all the time. He never takes it off and he's very awesome. He's one of the world's good blokes. Um, he's just developed a taste for the game. Beautiful. Um, so we'll, I think we might have, we've got one. We've got another one. Bring him in. Yeah. Uh, yep. No, we'll bro- – uh, Bob is your partner on, uh, what are you, 3 o'clock on? Three, yeah, Drive. 3 o'clock Drive on SEN, on SEN um, Melbourne's fine sports-only radio station. Thank you. Uh, Favourite Big Bash special commentators? Uh, Ricky. Ricky's the king. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's – I like – look, this is going to – it's a catch-all. I, I like everybody I've ever worked with, I, I enjoy the company of. I – this is not – I'm not saying this to be um, ov- overly woke – but um, I do love Lisa Stalaker and I wish Mel Jones was exclusive with us and not splitting her time between Fox and Seven. But I was lucky enough to work with them for a long time up at Channel 10 before they lost the rights and two finer human beings you will not meet. Okay. Uh, what else have we got here from Rocket? How is spending – and this is where I, uh, I guess, first um, – Enjoyed starting listening to yourself. How was spending 10 years alongside the WISP? Well, it was um, fantastic and I I love him like an older brother and um, it was actually quite something to see. We, we, we stuck together through a couple of different versions of when I was doing Brecky Radio and um, to see the impact that the Essendon you know, supplements scandal saga had on him as he was, we're on air when that was going, when that was breaking and evolving and his son was in the middle of it. And in the end, it claimed him. He couldn't, he couldn't do it anymore. He had to get away from the Monday to Friday um, unending news barrage. And I felt for, I really felt for him. It was a tough, in his time in footy, the two tough experiences he's have, he's had, have been, you know, 
coaching St Kilda, which didn't go the way he wanted it to, and enduring what his son went through, which was deeply personal and um, obviously and quite affecting for him, I think. Mm. So um, uh, I was covering the game when he was a coach and I was alongside him when he was going through the other bit and I really like him. He's He's a complex individual like a lot of those superstars from that sport can be, but um, I think he's got yeah, he's got a good heart, Tim. I, I like him a lot. Yeah. Now, of course, for anyone listening outside of Victoria or the can't a- play golf, you can't play, can't know, play golf. Bring him, ball sports hopeless. Bring him in, we can fix him. Ah, you're a waste of your time. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but we are talking about Tim Watson, Bombers uh, legend, yep. and his son um, Job uh, Watson, who played for the Bombers, also a Bombers legend. So that's. You know, I should have mentioned that. Sorry. I'm no, no. Just... no but uh, you got you guys owned Breakfast Radio in Melbourne for a long time, and you know to get everyone listening. And and who who else was there? Was there who? who so Billy other... was there to start yeah, with. Yep. Brownless was there to begin with, and then he uh, he disappeared. He went to I don't know whether he went to Triple M or somewhere, and then it was Tim and I pretty much for our, on our own there for a while thereafter. So it started, you know, Gary, Tim, and Billy, and Line, and Gaza had enough, and I took over from him. So yeah. Now, Rocket's asked another question here. I've got it here on the phone. Uh, yeah. um, his ad- your advice to aspiring media podcasters and people wanting to dive into the world of content creation. Wow, I think um, I think Rocket's backing himself in on this one as well. Right, well, I look forward to I look forward to hearing what he's got to offer. <laughs> um, it's a good question. I mean, they've gone from it's gone from nothing. It's gone from zero. I'll use your F one part. It's gone from zero to hundred in in very little time the land of the podcast. There's so much out there now that I think if you're going to do something, um, I was going to say find a point of difference, but it's very difficult to do that now. Um, just follow your heart. Like if you, if you love something and you want to, and you have a need to talk about it, I just got to talk about this and, you know, got to find someone to talk with or to about it. Podcasts are great. I mean, you can get that out of your system and you can put it down there and, who knows? There might be somebody, there might be a million other people out there that are wanting to talk about exactly the same thing. You just didn't even know they were out there. And if you like them, I'll have a golf. You got six. Um, it doesn't matter, <laughs> does right. it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, uh, front bar, most, yeah. mem- most memorable guest on the front bar. Uh, we had a night. Um, well, Alan Jakovic is probably the most memorable because he was a recluse and he's got an unbelievable backstory, you know, sort of, he was a meteor as a footballer and he is a passionate Serbian and he went back and fought in the Balkans waters when he, if his family were on the front line, their properties were being, um, you know, threatened to be, uh, being destroyed. So he went back and took up arms and fought he came back to Australia and it was an incredible story and he became a bit of a recluse. So we got him on and it was great fun. Like hunting him down and getting him on was, was hunting him down in the non Balkan Wars type, um, you know, context. Um, uh, was great. We did have a night when uh, we had Lee Matthews and Malcolm Blight on the same show and the show was, well, I think the show was pretty good, but then we went up to the channel seven boardroom after the show, which is where we have our post-show debrief Show finishes at about 10.30. Uh, it was at a bad quarter to three that morning when somebody said, listen, maybe it's time we should get going. Blighty would tell a story, Lee would top it. Blighty would top Lee's story, 
Leah go, I got that covered. It was just these, and we and we just couldn't ask enough questions. And if any of us could remember any of it, it would make a fantastic book. None of us can, <laughs> but it was just a night where you were blessed to be in the room with in footy Australian rules um, to be in the room of two giants of the game it was. We were very lucky that night. It was great. Yeah, well, it's phenomenal seeing the the rise of of. I guess you're going to say it probably just started as a little bit little project. See how we go, and you know mm. and now the number one footy show. It's the only footy show, and uh, loved by the Melbourne population, the Australian population. Um, a lot of, it looks like it looks like a lot of fun for you to sit there and sit there with a schooner of beer in front of you every Thursday night during the footy season and the other events that you cover and and have some fun with it. It's, it's uh, congrats. Thanks. Rocket's got one last question. I think this mm-hmm. is a bit of a. T- uh, uh, have you ever tried to putt one-handed? <laughs> is, he, is he saying that I should? No. Is he recommending that I try that? So think, bad is my putting, is uh, it? No, no, I think he might be referencing a, a round that uh, you and he may have had uh, <laughs> with a member at, at PK who, who I think left you both bemused at his one-handed putting. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. No names. We no. won't go into that right now. No. But, yeah, that was um, – <laughs> yes. Look, golf clubs are made up of – you know, many and varied characters, and um, it's good to meet them all. That's what makes that's what makes it an enjoyable place. All golf clubs to turn up. Yeah, Mornington Golf Club is a special one. That that was my reintroduction, and uh, we should go and have a game at Mornington. Oh, how's the little par three better down? The one that you hit out onto the is it is it is it everything it looked like it was going to be? Yeah, it's a hole. Yep. It's a hole in one magnet, just like our seventeenth at uh, PK, and the members love it because every week someone's having a hole in one. But it's just a phenomenal vista looking back across to the city. Green on the edge of the water there on the cliff overlooking Mount Eliza. It's uh, really, really good. And uh, we should go and have a game and meet some of the members yeah. down there because they are salt of the earth blokes like... Uh, no, no, love like, to. Like, we played like, a Blue Jacket Classic down there not long ago. We oh. uh, had our final round there, I think. So uh, we got to know a few of the members very, very well. You, Blue Jacket Classic usually happens at Port Ferry, is that right? No, it's all over the place. Oh, We've taken right. it. It's been all over the... It's been international. Um, oh. It got played at St Andrews one year. Um so, no, I've been going since 1987. Um, it's happening, well, touch wood, it's happening this coming weekend up at Murray Downs. Oh. Um, so, yeah, well, it's the legend The legend continues. Favourite place you've played around the world? Oh, this is going to sound horrifically provincial, but um, if I could play, if I, if I had to play one, you played far more courses than I have. Um, but if I could play one course, if I had to play one course for the rest of my life, I think I'd play St Andrews Beach. I just think it's, I love everything about that golf course, except for the walk back to the sheds after, off the back of 18. Um, I think it's a pretty special place. No, you're 100% correct. And I, I agree. And, you know, it's just the fact that I think sometimes for me, I get a bit jaded by the fact that it is only 25 minutes down the road and it's so easy and it's just, pay you 50, 80, 100 bucks or whatever it is, and it, you know, it's cheap at that, whatever it is. Yep. But, you know, you go there with never seen it before and, you know, it sits right up there alongside some of the great courses that I've played in, in Ireland and Scotland and, you know, that's about it. But, um, yep. Yep. yeah, sensational. And how is your own golf going at the moment? Well, I'm not playing nearly as much as I should, although I, the last time I played I had um, 41 points down at St Andrews Beach. Oh, really? So played – Really well, and off fifteen. So um, I, 
I just want to play. Like I just, I can't get into the routine of playing at the moment. So I'm in one of those horrific phases of my life where um, it's when I say horrific, I, I say that, yeah. you know, in inverted commas, but it's, I just can't get a game of golf into my weekly routine. Um, I'll try, I'm going to try and get an early game, make a really hardcore um, attempt to make it Wednesday morning, first group off, at Peninsula, Kingswood. I mean, that's what I'm going to have to try and do. But so I don't really know. But the last time I played, I played. I played great. So, can you do Thursdays? Uh, a bit harder when footy season starts. Makes it a long day. Mm, yeah, you're hitting off early and then finishing late on the Thursday night. So, um, so that's the hard. Uh, that's the hard part. Finding a day when there's nothing at, after work. You know, finish at six on radio. So you just want to. You know, you start to run out of petrol if you've yeah. got up early, played golf, then front up and do the work. So you you just got to just got to find Wednesdays could be okay, I reckon. So hopefully I'll be able to do that. Yeah. Well, I know you've probably seen him around the club, but uh, it'll it'll warm your heart to know that uh, Sam Doherty is back on the golf track and uh, right. He he's looking sensational. His uh, lower half of his body is just a thing of beauty. You well, know, I'm, 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 that's open-ended possibilities there, but I know exactly what you mean. Well, the yep. quads, the yep. calves, the knees, you know, the, yes, co- the calf quando. Yep. Yeah, okay, you know. And, <laughs> and, but I think, um, you know, in, in relation to his health um, yep. scare that he had at the last year, um, end of last year, you know, I think everything is um, Great, looking, no, looking he's, good he's there. A, but, you know, as you very well know, he's a first-class individual, that fella, so we wish nothing but good things happening to him. Last thing on golf and blues. We've got to get uh, young Jess out there more often on the golf course. I think she's uh, a talent, a talent waiting to uh, take on golf. Young Jess Hosking. So she's just become a member. She's, she's in the yeah. In that, so that and she had drove her old man the other day, fantastic. which I'm, yeah. So I hope Mark's listening, um, and I hope she's telling us. She out drove him on. I can't remember what hole she said, but she hit it about two hundred and forty. She reckons. So she probably had driven me as well, if that's the case. But um, uh, yeah, she's a she's. A mag- she's a magnificent human being, so we will get around the golf course more often. You must give your, your young daughters, three of them, uh, a lot of pleasure watching you run out there in the purple. You know, carrying the drinks and the and the and the magic sprays for the uh, the blues ladies. They do love it. Um, they're little footballers already themselves. So um, and yeah, to see the way they access the game through the AFLW, um, the way that I accessed it through the VFL. Um, you know, back in the day, it's exactly the same. And it's not forced parenting. It's just natural. Mm. So this is what this is what young girls have got in front of them now that they didn't have when their mum was a young girl, which yeah. is a great thing. So I'm very happy that it's there. Well, you got in with the girls and sung the Mighty Blues song with passion on the weekend. Yeah. Coughed a, a bit for it. <laughs> well... Was it last year or the year before? I've created a tradition that's – I'm the only one aware of the fact that it's a tradition, but two years ago we had a sluggish start to the season and we won a game and we got back in the rooms and it was almost like the girls didn't quite know what to do. So I said, why don't you get around and arms around one another? And I was pumped. And so we sung the song and I led. So now I've, in my in the back of my mind, the first win of every season, I will lead the song. And that was our first win. I will never do it again for the rest of this season. Um, but that's my tradition that I've bestowed upon myself and I'm aware of, but I'm sure no one else has got any idea that it exists. 
it looks like you have a ball out there doing right, what you do right. and, the, and helping right. the club and, and hanging around with uh, the girls and um, and Jess Hosking and uh, let's let's get you down to the golf club and let's uh, let's get you in and get you some up and running because uh, I want to see you uh, beat some of the. Oh, you'll never get rid of the. Oh, if you invite her into your shop, you will oh, never get rid of her. No, just just Jess and I. Um, you know, no, we catch up down there. She comes down and oh, she, she she tinkers around the golf clubs. Uh, quite a lot and right. you know she'll she'll hit me up for some uh, information about what she should get her old man for a present that sort of thing so Fantastic. But I, we've been talking about getting out there on the golf course and i think we talked about getting out there with yourself but yeah, let's um, do it let's make sure we do it. let's hold yeah. each other accountable for that to that very good mate i've kept you long enough thank you very much for your time uh thanks uh emma for uh, letting you go probably at the time when the kids should be getting off to bed and doing all that sort of stuff no, so all right. no, good. thank you mate and mate, thanks for the chat it's fun hopefully somebody I've enjoyed it, so hopefully that's that's all that really matters. But hopefully anybody's prepared to listen does too. So just two blokes having a chat about sport and golf. Yep, perfect, Roscoe. Very good, mate. I'll see you next right. time. Okay, yeah, bye.